You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Glory Day Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas. Thanks for joining in. For more information about Glory Day and next steps you can take with us, check out gdlc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Answer it silently. Think it through. Who is Jesus Christ? If someone asked you that question, how would you answer? What's your 30-second elevator speech? What do you believe about Jesus? Because I believe this is the most important question that we ever will face in our lifetimes. It's a central question of all history and a key element central to our salvation. And so related to that question, who is Jesus, often comes, where did he come from? Why did he come? And what difference does it make? You know, you can just stick in one of your computer search engines and type in, who is Jesus? And you will find an incredible array of opinions, ideas, understandings, and beliefs. He is, I believe, as history will record, the most captivating, the most studied about, and the most influential person who has ever lived. He will come to be the most examined, the most written about, the most sung about, the most discussed person ever. And even after 2,000 years of interest in Jesus Christ, there's still people who are very curious about who he is and the claims. Is he, is he a Lord? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Ask who Jesus Christ is, and you'll hear an array of answers. He's a good man, the son of God, a prophet, a rabbi. He's the embodiment of God's love. He's reincarnate spirit master. He's the ultimate revolutionary. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's a first century wise man. He's a great example to follow, or he's a fabrication of the early church. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Who is Jesus Christ? In reality, it's a staggering question as it causes each of us to evaluate our faith and understanding of who Jesus is and what we believe about him. You see, we're in the second part of our series on the Apostles' Creed as we're looking at the three different parts of the Apostles' Creed. Remember the Apostles' Creed divided into three parts, three articles. The first article is about God the Father. We spent three weeks on teaching on God the Father. Today we begin three weeks teaching on Jesus, God's Son, our Redeemer. And then on Pentecost, we'll begin with who is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And what I'm about to share with you this morning, you're going to say, a couple of you are going to say, he needs to slow down. Some of you are going to say, he gave us way too much content. Some of you are going to say, I didn't get half the verses that he wrote or said to put about there, and that's okay. You always can go back and look at it, and if you need a resource, I can provide it for you as well. Or you could come to my Bible class, and we'll just unpack it for you right there as well. Or you can go to a variety of other different Bible classes too this morning. And so if we look about what, who Jesus is and 
what that means for us. I want to talk about what it means that Jesus was both human and divine. I want to talk to you this morning why he came to earth and the difference it does make in our lives all in the span of 22 minutes. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so if you really want to know who Jesus is, the best place to go look is not some self-help book or Amazon. It's going straight to Scripture. Particularly the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different accounts of Jesus' life that record for us his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. And even anticipate his glorious return. Four different perspectives, four different looks at Christ, yet beautifully harmonious by these four different writers as they talk about Jesus' mission and ministry and purpose. Through the four Gospels, we understand who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he didn't come to do. And then how we find life in him. And what's so amazing to me, after you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end of John, there's a great summation of the entire reason and purpose for why the Gospels write about Jesus. I did not give this to the slide guys, so they don't have this, so don't panic up there in the tech booth, guys, but I want everybody to turn to John chapter 20. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 907. John chapter 20, verse 30. At the end of John's gospel, hear these words from John chapter 20, beginning with verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, which are not written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But these are written. But what is written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written so that there's a purpose. You may do what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God, you may have life in his name. That is the whole reason and understanding, the purpose for asking the question, who is Jesus? That if we make that profession of who he is, we have life and salvation in him. In fact, at 11 o'clock today, we've got our confirmants who are making that affirmation of faith of who Jesus is. Making that confession. And so that's a great segue to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. You heard part of it, you heard this morning in the gospel. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13 on page 822. In this section of Scripture, Jesus is facing increasing opposition from religious leaders and authorities of his day. And in the midst of that opposition, here's what he's doing. He's preparing his disciples for their ministry following Jesus' death and resurrection and return to heaven. So Jesus, the teacher, is preparing his disciples for how to lead their lives as they live in him. 
Training them was crucial for their faith and development as Jesus was laying the groundwork for all that they would face. You see, that's why we believe the life is a, of a disciple is one who sees Christ first in all things, the second who is devoted to God's word, obedient to his word, that we study his word together, but we just don't stop studying. We start living it out. That's what Jesus did with those three years of those disciples. And none of them felt prepared. Any of us never feel, I'm not, I haven't studied enough. I, I don't know anybody who got out of college and the first day of their first job said, man, I know everything about this job there is to have. And I'm just so prepared. Never. Jesus has been working with these disciples now for over two years. They've been with him while he taught. They watched him heal people, feed the crowds. They trembled with great fear as he walked on water and he stilled the storms of the sea. And even among them, he knew that there was an incredible opinions about his ministry. You see, the disciples would be around the crowds and they got to hear from the crowds asking, who is this guy? But what about the disciples? It's interesting Jesus asked the disciples who the people say I am, and they had great answers. This is who people think you are. But then it got real personal. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say the Son of Man is? You see, that's a question that every one of us has to wrestle individually. This is, this is not uh, something for everybody else to believe for you. That's why we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Not we believe and not my parents believe or not my kids believe, but I believe. And the disciples, all the things that they had heard about Jesus were sounded flattering and fantastic about Jesus. But look at verse 15. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? You almost can hear the silence, and of course it was Peter who steps up to break the silence, and he says with all boldness, confidence, and faith in verse 16, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. This was not for Peter some sort of political endorsement, uh, but a statement of divine reality. For just a glimpse, he caught the understanding and reason for Jesus' mission and ministry. Through a divine intervention, he understood, understood that Jesus was far more than a teacher or a miracle worker. He knew that his father had set Jesus apart. And he caught that the father's love was living in the midst, in his midst. And on that confession, Jesus said to Peter, on that confession that you're the Christ, the Son of God, I will build my church. And the church and the, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail over it. So who do you say that Jesus is? If you look at the Apostles' Creed, the second article, it's actually divided up into two parts. And here's where I'm going to give you all so much information this morning. I took three different classes over a span of a year and a half to go in in 22 minutes of the sermon, okay? So blah, here it comes. Ready? Just verbal diarrhea dump. Ready? All right? Did I say that? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that, but I did. <laughs> See, my wife's not here this morning. 
second article, the Apostles' Creed divided two parts. First, as Jesus leaves the glories of heaven and is called the state of humiliation when he comes to earth, that he's going to humble himself. And the second part is that it's on his glory or the state of exaltation where he is exalted. It actually comes from Philippians chapter 2. Okay? Remember what we said in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived, came down by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I want to talk about that today. Pastor Randy will talk about the second half next week. The second half, where his exaltation begins with the phrase, he descended into hell. That doesn't sound right. How is descending into hell his exaltation? I'll let Pastor Randy tell you about that one. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, if you can't find it, it's one of the epistles that there are letters that Paul wrote. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. New Testament book of the Bible. This is a good exercise for you to get through and look through this stuff. Philippians chapter 2, page 980. Look what it says in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself or he humbled himself. There's a state of humiliation. By taking the form of a servant, being born how? In the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So as you heard this morning in the explanation of the second article, it said that I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is both true God and true man. What in the world does that mean? As we talk about Jesus' humiliation, you also have to talk about his humanity. Why? Why? Well, it goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And the, the punishment for their disobedience was death? And so God promised them a Savior, Jesus, who would come to be in their place. So Jesus had to be 100% human to be our sacrifice, to be our substitute, to be the one that would take our place couldn't be 50% human and 50% divine. 100% human, 100% divine. It doesn't make sense. I understand that. And so as we talk about his humiliation today, and we talk about his humanity, we'll talk about next week his exaltation and his divinity. So as Jesus on this earth, there was two natures. He was both Human and divine. 
let me, let me teach you a little bit from Scripture how I know that he was human. Okay? Turn to Matthew chapter 1. And all these things you've heard before, and you're like, eh, whatever. He's not teaching me anything new. But I want you to understand the context of someone asking, how can you say that Jesus was a human? Because remember all the different beliefs and opinions about who Jesus is? You have to have a grasp of both concepts. Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 20. This is the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived, remember, in her, is from the Holy Spirit. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's the purpose. Here's a whole purpose statement for Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we go. I'm going to give you some rapid-fire verses. Don't panic, all right? Just write these down. We know in Luke chapter 2-7 that he was born. I'll give you about five seconds. Look at that. We know from Luke chapter 2, verses 40 and 52, that he grew as a child. We know from John chapter 4, verse 6, that he was tired. He became weary. We know that from John chapter 19, verse 28, he became thirsty. We know from Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, that he was hungry. We know that from Matthew chapter 4, 11, he experienced emotional and spiritual fatigue. Remember, I'm talking all about his humanity. These are human emotions and feelings and physical observations that you don't experience in a God. He died. Luke 23, verse 46. And then he had a real human body after his resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 20 and 27. Check out my hands, my side. So why does that even matter? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. I really appreciate that. We know that Jesus experienced all our feelings, emotions, struggles, temptations. Hebrews talks about that. That he was tempted just as we are. So that he may sympathize in our weakness, that we can go to him in every trouble and find grace and mercy in our need. Been there, done that, Jesus can say. That he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how that works. Please don't ask me. It's a supernatural miracle. 
He was born without sin. Again, had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he didn't have original sin. And he didn't commit actual sin, so that he may be the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He was born of Mary. He grew, he lived, and at age 30, he began his ministry. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. This morning in my Bible class, I'll talk to the class about uh, an article from the Journal of American Medical Association, what that actually means, of how he suffered in all his humanity, that he was crucified, and that he died. And was buried. Why does that make any difference in our lives? You see, as we understand who Jesus is, that he came to save us from our sins, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. It's on page 974. You hear this section of Scripture a lot of times right around Advent. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, page 974. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, right here, born under the law. That phrase right there, in his humanity, he was suffering under the punishment of the law for a purpose, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his children. You see, all over the rest of Scripture, it's very clear. In Romans chapter 5 when Paul writes, at the right time while we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. From the glorious realms of heaven, he humbled himself, came down to earth to live our life, to die our death. And this glorious resurrection defeated sin, death, and the evil one. So that I no longer have to fear. I no longer have to be enslaved to sin. Sin and the devil have no power over me. Only what I give the devil. In Christ, I'm more than a conqueror, but I got to tell you, every day I mess up. And I praise him for his grace and his forgiveness that cost him his life so that I can live. For God so loved you that he gave you his only son. That as you believe in him, you 
will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, you, me, might be saved through him. What a great God we serve. He gave us his son, Jesus, that we might live in him. To God alone be the glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope God used this time to turn your heart more towards him. Be sure to check out Glory Day online at gdlc.org for next steps you can take. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston as we help more people live life with Jesus every day.